Hey friends, it's Fred Greenhalgh, producer here at Realm. A new episode of Ominous Thrill is ready for your ears. It's Advice After Dark. Late night radio host Bella Donna delivers extreme advice to the delight and horror of her audience until a creepy listener forces her to confront the brutal consequences of her show. Here's a preview. Welcome to my live stream, Bella. Say hello to everyone. What do you want? Click the link. Watch along. I'm not clicking links from psychos. You put that trash on the radio every night and I'm the psycho. You sound like you need help. I'm not one of your fake callers. My show is very, very real. Do you want to know what it's called? No, I don't. It's called Belladonna Gets What's Coming. Starring you. What? It's really starring me, but it's all about you. And you'd be surprised how many people want to watch you get what's coming. I called the police. They'll be here any minute. Yeah, well, we should be done before they get here. Find Ominous Thrill out now, everywhere you listen. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine. Coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Slingers, and welcome to this spoiler review for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Not part one anymore. It's just Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Beyond the Spider-Verse, will be the one we get next year. But we are here to do the spoiler review. We're missing one person with us. So I'm going to wait till that person shows up from the multiverse until we do our official intro. But for now, we should introduce ourselves for sure, I am the outlaw John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer, where you can see some of our current work right now on Netflix with Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City, seasons one and two, and season three will be premiering on YouTube in July. Nice, nice, absolutely. And apparently we've got internet issues with our third person. He's probably glitching, uh, but he will be here in just a few, a couple of minutes to join us. That's right. Michael Vogel will be joining us. Uh, he's also a writer, producer, uh, and uh, a host, I would say, as well, Shannon, of uh, the show, for sure. And uh, we're going to jump into everything. We're going to spoil the hell out of this movie. All three of us went and saw it again today in some version and uh, enjoyed uh, seeing it again. And we're ready to break it down and talk about everything. So this is a spoiler review. So if you have not seen the movie, this is where you turn this off. Go see the movie, then turn it back on where you left off and enjoy our conversations about it, see if you agree or disagree with our points of views on it. Uh, and um, uh, Or if you don't care about it, have it being, uh, have it being spoiled, you're one of those tough-ass mofos, then stick around because we're going to break everything down and talk about it. And swinging it in, uh, swinging in now, finally, uh, from uh, Spider from Earth, I don't know, what would you say, what, Earth 6969 probably, I would say, is coming in uh, to be our third Spider-Man into this one. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, there he is. There he is. Look at the grousey face there. Look at him. 
<laughs> First of all, yes. that's homophobic. That's uh, homophobic. What? That, that goes both ways. Come on. Literally. Sec- that that is yes. definitively what a 69 <laughs> is. Yes, you did just define that. It does go both ways. Um, sorry. I feel like Miles running into his uh, guidance counselor's office late. is was like getting texts from Roca. I was like, in a minute, I'll be there. Oh, Woo! look at that. Now he I know how it feels. Uh... <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. No, man. Just... Uh... Oh, look at that. Mike wrote uh, internet BRT all in one word. Look at that. Uh, I got three bubbles now. I'm I'm Miles. Roca is Rio. Uh, Shannon Uh. is Captain Morales. (laughs) Oh, no. There it is. Oh. (laughs) Ooh. Nice. 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 So, y'all strap in. We're going to have a fun conversation here on the Geek. Buddies! <gasps> hey! We didn't even plan that. Nope. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, we are ready to talk about it all and break this thing down. A two hour and 15 minute movie. Of course, that includes the credits. But what a fascinating film to come five years after uh, Into the Spider Verse, which was already a groundbreaking animated theatrical. Uh, a masterpiece of animation. So many people enjoyed it. It uh, it changed people's points of views on what this could do. It changed people's points of views on Sony and how they handled the Spider-Man uh, universe and influenced Spider-Man No Way Home for sure. And now we've got this next installment, what I, what I assume is and what seems to be a trilogy since these storylines are connecting uh, from one film into another. And we've got another one coming, as I said earlier, beyond the Spider-Verse next year. I think it's in March of next year. But we have this one to sit down and enjoy. It's already breaking records, 120 uh, million plus opening weekend, blew past the predictions of 80 to 90. I mean, people said 90 was on the high end. 80 was the standard, and it was arguably $40 million better than what they predicted, which is incredible. And people are writing articles. Clayton uh, Davis over there at uh, at uh, Variety talking about this should be a best picture contender. I was listening to Sean Fennessy on The Ringer, and he said this is a first five-star movie he's seen in three years. So it's this kind of love that people are having for this movie that is going to transcend how people view animated films. We know Beauty and the Beast was nominated for best picture. This may actually effing win which is crazy to think about michael i go to you first man overall thoughts all three of us saw it today again what is your feeling what are your thoughts on here a spider-man uh, across the spider-verse i as you said into the spider-verse was a groundbreaking movie i remember you went to go see it at a screening yes and yes. you texted us and said i'm getting into another screening to bring you and you took the two of us to see it because you liked it so much that's true it, Into the Spider-Verse elevated the animation genre, did things nobody had seen before. Amazing movie. Across the Spider-Verse, I just said to the friends uh, that I went to go see it with this afternoon, Yeah, I feel about Across the Spider-Verse the way that I feel the first time I saw The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Like, the first time that I saw Little Mermaid and it elevated Disney animation. Like, oh. Across the Spider-Verse is not just a great movie for animation. Across the Spider-Verse is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Wow. Like, it is – it blows me away on every single level. It is intensely emotional. It's amazing emotional visual storytelling. It is a near-perfect story. I mean, with all of the pieces, with a story that is so complicated, with so many moving pieces and so many universes and so many Spider-Men and Spider-Women – 
it manages to tell this very clear, simple story about family and emotion and where you belong. Like, I, I think like when people were describing it as like an Empire Strikes Back level movie, like that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I think one of the things that's real positive is that you had heard all the hype. You had asked all the questions. So your expectations going in, probably sky high, but a little maybe skeptical. Will it actually live up? And the fact that it actually blew away your expectations speaks volumes at how great this film is. When we did our uh, ranking of the Spider-Man movies this yeah. week on Geek Buddies, yeah. and I put Across the Spider-Verse as my number one Spider-Man movie before seeing it, <laughs> I was right. <laughs> there you go. All right, Mr. McClung, your thoughts here on uh, Across the Spider-Verse um, uh, overall? There are movies that you see it the first time, and you're like, man, that was really good. And then you see it the second time, like, that was really really good and <laughs> you just go see it more and more and one of those movies that happened with this was was into the spider-verse mm. um because he hearing all of the 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 pr uh, praise and adulation for it it's kind of like okay good like, we're gonna we're gonna have a good time and i remember just being so surprised like i knew it was gonna be good because folks that i trusted said how good it was so yeah. i was like i know it's gonna be good and i was like man i really enjoyed that and then I went and saw it again. It's one of those movies that I will go and see by myself again and again and again and again. And that mm -hmm. will probably be the case with this one as well. Um, yeah. There's so much to take in. Um, I imagine whenever this is released on on uh, to, to watch at home, that it's going to be a pause fest of trying to pick out every single little thing. Yeah. And the way that they are able to go so broad yeah. with their comedy but still retain the heart is it, it's one of those things that i'm like i don't know how you i don't know how you do that like it mm -hmm. is so funny it goes so far but it still reigns you in with the this incredible uh, emotional story of miles with his parents but also now gwen and captain yeah. stacy yeah. now i'm not at the point where i think it's better than into the spider-verse I think because wow. this is the first part. It is it is the story is not complete. Like wow. the end of end of the Spider-Verse, that theoretically yeah. that could have ended. Like they could have stopped right then. But because of the giant cliffhanger that it was left with, now by the time Beyond the Spider-Verse comes out, I might be singing a different song. Hmm. But right now I'm like End of the Spider-Verse to me is still the best Spider-Man movie. Across the Spider-Verse is right below it. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously I agree with both of you in terms of the uh, level of, of um, enjoyment you got out of this movie. And certainly for me, seeing it a second time, being able to sit back and really catch stuff, knowing we we're going to do the spoiler review, I watched it with completely different eyes than I did the first time, which I always love to do. First time is always just, am I having a good time? What's standing out for me? What can I talk about in my review? That when we're doing spoiler reviews, it's much more like, okay, what are the, what, let's go bone deep. What am I catching? What am I missing? What am I seeing here? The visuals of this, the subtle brilliance of the visuals in throughout this entire movie, Shannon, I think you nail it on the head. It is one of those films that you are going to pause and try to catch every frame, what's in the frame, what's in the frame. This time around, I noticed that when Gwen is talking to her father after her father has pulled a gun on her, 
we see the spider eyes, the mask of the spider eyes appear over her shoulders. And I did not notice the first time. It's like, wow, it's fascinating because she's taken the mask off, but it's still a part of her. It's still a reflection of her speaking to her dad and the fact that her own father would put a, pull a gun on her again a second time, even after she's taken off the mask. There's a shock value that and a power to this. And this movie has so much heart, absolutely. Certainly the relationship with Miles and his family, such a strong, such a strong foundational piece of this entire thing. It's like that tree that Miguel was showing with all the spider That tree, that base of that tree is definitely his love for his family and the connections that they have. But as you said, she's going to get more with Captain Stacy, more with Gwen. Miguel and his uh, trying to makeshift a family and what that caused. You know, we're see- we saw um, uh, Pravata's sp- uh, uh, family as well there in M- Mumbatan, seeing what that's all about. Jessica Drew, she's pregnant, alluding uh, to her man. You know, we're seeing these family uh, elements and uh, we see uh, a mayday show up there with her dad there peter b parker so there's a lot of the family element that's coursing through this the jokes are there everyone's making jokes except for miguel of course everyone's making jokes but that ending is no less dark and powerful the stakes of that ending are super unsettling to see in a film like this and the fact that they were able to do that balance throughout the whole thing is just incredible. So the story and emotion, as Michael said earlier, the emotional storytelling is phenomenal. And then you add in the different types of animation to reflect the world. Yeah. Oh, and Spot, going into Spot's world, which has super darkness in it. You're just like, this is, what an achievement to hit the right emotional beat every time throughout this whole movie. It just was astounding to see. Um just real quick to let you guys know, first of all, please remember to subscribe to the channel down below. You know, we're trying to get to 50,000 subscribers here on the Outlaw Nation, a.k.a. the Geek Buddies. So please remember to subscribe and hit that bell button so you know when we're dropping things like this. Also, leave a comment down below if you're watching later. Hit a like now if you don't mind. And also, if you want to send in Streamlabs and Super Chat so you can be sure that we're going to read your question. Doesn't mean those are the only questions we're going to read, but if you want to be sure that we read your question, that's the way to do it. The Streamlabs address is pinned in the chats in the description of the video as well. Let's move on to the story element of this. Michael, I go to you first. You're a showrunner. You know overarching storylines, you know, being on top of that in multiple episodes to make sure you hit that landing. What did you think of the story that we got here, finding out that the, the thing they did at the end of the movie of the first movie, you know, the Spider-Verse actually led to all the stuff that we're seeing now. A- a villains being pulled into different universes, which means Michael Keaton now. That's why he's in the Venom or the uh, Morbius universe, I guess. But we're seeing all of that. But what, what goes on here with Spider-Gwen and what goes on with her dad and then what it leads to with Miguel and what it leads to overall is that Miguel is essentially trying to set everything right that that collider set wrong. And that collider also birthed Spot. And, it, and you find out that uh, the guy who becomes Spot is the guy who brought the spider over that bit Miles, and Miles is an anomaly here. And then we see the darkness of the last few minutes with, with Miles in the wrong universe and seeing himself as the Prowler craziness, almost like Luke going into that tree and seeing himself as Vader. So your yeah. overall thoughts here as we come to the story of this film. Well, as Shannon knows and gets super annoyed about, um, when my friends pitch me a story, hey, I have this idea for a movie, and they lay out, hey, and then this happens, and there's this flying boat, and then there's this dragon, and then all this stuff happens. I go, cool, that's great. What's the story? And to me, yeah. what is the story means what's the emotional story. And I think what Lord and Miller do maybe better than almost anybody. Yeah. Like just from um, 
from cloudy with a chance of meatballs to 21 jump street to lego movie to that like just they consistently do it over and over again is as complicated as their plot might be <laughs> their story is surprisingly simple and that's why it hits the emotional impact it has so you're right like from a plot standpoint they took everything they did in that first movie and just elevated it. Instead of having Spider-Man and women from other universes coming to Miles' universe, we got to explore these other universes. We were yeah. going all over the place. We saw all of these Spider-Men. Um, you know, we go from Miles Brooklyn to Moonbatten to Gwen Stacy's world to yeah. uh, Nueva York. Like, we are all over the place. We're spanning universes. We have more Spider-Men than we know what to do with. And that... <laughs> could easily become a confusing pile of shit. Like, like easily. Like, I think part of what makes this movie so impressive is how, how many ways it could have not been impressive. Because mm. there's so much going on. But they stick so tightly. I mean, John, you brought it up really well. Family, family dynamics, parents and children... Yeah. is such a core part of this movie. And you see these themes repeated over and over. So you've got Peter B. Parker being a dad. You've got Miles dealing with his parents. You've got Gwen dealing with her mom. You've got Miguel O'Hara wanting to live in a world where he has a daughter. Like, yeah. you've got Jessica Drew pregnant. Like, so thematically, there's just a similarity to what's going on. And then, um, you know, it's really interesting. I was just talking to some people about it earlier. So the Rachel Dratch character, the guidance counselor. Yeah, yeah. Opening scene. Here's a blank page. What is your story, Miles? Who are you? How can I sell you? And so even though that's a really funny scene where Miles is running late and his parents are like, where are you? Yeah. Like they set up really early this idea of who are you and what is your story? And then you get to later in the movie where Miguel is like, every Spider-Man has a story and we all have the same story and we can't deviate from this story. Yeah. And you don't belong in this story. And Miles is like, I'm going to go do my own thing. Yeah. So like, this is a, literally, this is a, and even the cake thing, which is so funny. It's like, he walks into the guidance counselor's office. She's like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And he's like, Hey, unless you get two cakes and then he has to get two cakes to fit everything on, uh, that he wants to say to his dad. So you got the whole two cake gag, but ultimately this movie comes down to Miguel saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Mm -hmm. Being Spider-Man means you have to lose your dad. And Miles' story is, I'm going to do it all. And then Gwen says to Miles' parents at the end when she leaves, Miles taught me you can have everything. Mm -hmm. So, like, it is amazing to me that with everything and all the visual styles in this movie that is just, like, going crazy all over the place, emotionally, it is tight. It is yeah. a tight, tight story. And every single thing that happens in the movie happens for a specific reason. Even like the guide, like I said, the guidance council, the cakes, every yeah. beat is well thought out and it's there for a specific reason. And there's this feeling that you get when you're watching a movie that is so eloquently told where you just feel like I, I'm in, I'm in good hands. Yeah. I can just sit back and relax because there are no flaws in this movie. Yeah, it's fascinating you bring this up, Mike, because this is what I've always seen Spider-Man has is the first actual anomaly that I ever experienced as a kid growing up reading comic books. He didn't want to be a superhero, right? His, yeah. his parents weren't killed. He wasn't motivated. He didn't have money to go and do these things. He didn't come from another planet, which is all DC stuff. But Marvel, Spider-Man was my first introduction to Marvel more than anything else. 
And he's just a regular kid who got bit by a spider and had this thrown upon him. So in a way, the, uh, the uh, Miguel calling him an, the anomaly, the original anomaly, it also harkens back to the origins of Spider-Man. He is the original anomaly. He's a smart kid who didn't want to be the hero, didn't want to, and this thing, he it bites him, and he has to now adapt and change his life. He loses Uncle Ben. He has to take care of Aunt May. The, uh, the MJ stuff goes back and forth, but he is the original anomaly that everything stems from. So in a way, it's kind of interesting to see this battle happening between Miguel and um, Miles, and Miles pushing back. And remember, it's a 15-year-old kid pushing back, saying, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to well, walk my own path. And isn't that always the battle between generations? The older generation is always going to tell you what you can and can't do. No, it can't, it can't be done. Everyone's tried it. Who are you to think you can do it? But the younger generation, someone always seems to step up and say, no, I can break convention. I can do it because uh, for whatever reason, I've got that little extra thing that's going to help me believe that well, I can do it. Yeah. And to that point, I mean, Miles' parents tell him he's just a kid. Right. Peter B. Parker keeps calling him kid. kid. Yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. like, don't call me that. And then Miles and then Miguel calls him a kid. So it's, you're, you're 100 percent right. Like that is an inherent part of the story. But they repeat it over and yeah. over and yeah. over again that everywhere in Miles life, he's like, you're just a kid. You're just a kid. And then at the end, he's like, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts here on the story that they told in this movie, the emotions, the uh, the uh, story beats, everything that led us to that uh, uh, kind of abrupt finale that got us salivating for the uh, oh. uh, the conclusion of the story. Yeah. I mean, it's just this lovely, natural continuation of not just Miles, but also Gwen. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when we meet Gwen in Into the Spider-Verse, she appears to kind of have it all together. I mean, yeah. cause she's not, she's not in her universe. Like she gets, she gets what's happening. It's like, all right, we got to get back. But from miles point of view, this is someone who knows what they're doing. And so to start the movie off and we see what life is like for her and how she hasn't made any friends uh, since Peter died, since her Peter died, and we find out how her Peter died, right. in that it was it was way more tragic. I mean, it was this this Kurt Connors situation where he was tired of getting picked on. He 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 took a big swing and ended up making himself a monster. Mm -hmm. And while Gwen was not responsible for his death, like she 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 had to watch it. She had to watch it happen. Yeah. And so giving us giving us more of Gwen. I thought was a really, really great way to start to start the film. And going Shannon, back to she's, Miles, she's almost like a co-lead Shannon of the film for sure. She's totally. Oh a yeah, it's a two-hander. It's, it's yeah. a yeah, it's a two-hander for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, but also going back to Miles, I mean, one of the things that we don't always see in animation is a physical progression of characters. Like mm -hmm. a lot of times when you get a sequel, they, they look the same because you, right. you want to do what you did before. Like you, you want elements of that. Like this is what people responded to. Let's give it, let's give it and plus it. Yeah. Um, with this, the fact that he is growing, like he, he's, he has aged in this time. And I thought that worked so well, especially when Peter, when Peter B sees him and he's like, look at, look at this. You're huge. Um, it was just so lovely to watch you know, he, he's got his confidence because he's been Spider-Man for a little bit. He knows what he's doing. Um, but now he's getting to this point in his life where, you know, he's he's you know, he's a sophomore, but he's going to he's going to be going off to college soon. What am I going to do with my life? The only person 
who knows that I am Spider-Man is Genki. Right. And it doesn't seem like Genki, he doesn't want to get too involved. Like, it's very clear. He ain't Ned. Yeah. I am not going to be the guy in the chair. I'm not calling <laughs> the authorities to say there's a bad guy over there. That's a, that's a slippery slope. A slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and I think featuring... His relationship with his mom, with Rio, was just like the, the first Ooh. movie was so much about him and his dad. Yeah, and yeah. this time we get him and his mom. And there, there's so much comedy to be mined there. Like when they're when they're going through when Rachel Dratch is going through his grades, A, A, A minus. Oh, sounds like she grades hard. <laughs> Spanish B. What? <laughs> and you see the expression oh, yeah. on his dad's face. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> it, the, the family is just so real and relatable mm. and and i think that's what made the first movie so successful was how audiences who who may not have been very aware of of miles how audiences just fell in love with this guy yeah. and they just want to see more like we see these relationships developing and then by the time we get to the end i mean you know we see that his friends that he made in the first movie looks like we're gonna get to see him again which that reunion can't wait to see yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great point you bring up here. And Michael, I know you mentioned Lord Miller. Dan Callahan is one of the writers as well on this, and he wrote Shang-Chi, right? Yeah. Another film which kind of explored a, a a different ethnicity, different culture, and how they approach things, but with universal themes that could appeal to anybody. And you see that in this film again, right? It's very clear that he's half black, half Latino. We see the explorations of that, the fun little uh, Spanish uh, conversations that happen with Rio and with uh, his dad and the back and forth that they have at times, but then how it affects him and what, what he gets from his mom, what he gets from his dad, those things are there. Mm -hmm. And you, Shannon, you're so smart to point that out that it's, it's much more focused on relationship with his mom. Even though we have that scene with his dad, when his dad doesn't know that he's miles under the mask and they have the back and forth, which is hilarious uh, you know, just got let him spread his wings, I guess. I don't have a dog in the hunt here. But like seeing the thing with him and his mom, when she comes and interrupts the back and forth, I mean, listen, the, the mom's always, a little, I, I don't know, maybe all moms, but Latino moms, certainly that's an experience. They just want to know who you're talking to, who you're hanging out with, what she like, <laughs> what's her name, introduce her. My dad always said to me, don't introduce me unless you're going to marry them. I don't get, I don't even know. <laughs> but my mom was like, I want to meet everybody you date. So you, you have that moment. So it's really sweet. But then when Gwen takes off, that back and forth between him and his mom, I cried all through that scene, both times. Both yeah. times. Because you know that scene. You felt that scene. And him, you know, she's saying, I'm smiling, but you're still grounded. You are still grounded. He's like, <laughs> you know, and it's and it makes sense because in the first one, he's trying to find his voice. And that's a dad thing. That's it. With a young kid, it's a dad thing most of the times. This one, he's leaving the nest. And that's more of a mom thing most of the yeah. time. So I think it worked to have that balance in these two films to have the different parent take center stage doesn't mean the other parents still didn't have stuff to do and connect with it but center stage here and then when we get to gwen and her, her dad that is really chilling what happens there man it's beautiful and it's sweet but it's also chilling like that opening she can't tell him you know she kills peter and you're right Shannon. we just saw snippets of that in the first one and it's presented to us as let's tell me this let's tell you my story and it's more kind of zip it zip it zip but here, now we get into the beats of what happened. We see Aunt May was uh, there with uh, with her dad and they, with Mr. St with uh, Captain Stacy, and they were hanging out, having dinner and stuff. So there's a very strong uh, relationship there. Ned's the bully in this universe, which I think is hilarious. And then you have the situation with Lizard, and then he dies, and Peter says to her, I just wanted to be special like you, right? And, and it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And dies in her arms. And then Captain Stacy pulls the gun on her, 
Then she pulls the mask off and he still pulls the gun on her. It's and he shoots in the air almost like he's going to shoot his own daughter without knowing it's his own daughter, which has shades of that police brutality thing just kind of subtly playing under the surface. And it's just so smart in how they build that. And then we go all the way out to it. Miles is a 15-year-old kid. He has a crush on a girl. Of course he might follow her or whatever. And we, you know, you can have your feelings about that. But he follows her and gets involved in the situation, shouldn't get involved in the situation, then has to get brought in front of the older adult, and that is Miguel. And the back and forth that happens here is incredible. And then that moment where he tells him, essentially, you've got to let your father die. And she asked, he asks Gwen, wait, your dad's a captain. And she goes, yeah. And she doesn't say, yeah, I should stop it. It's She's essentially saying, yes, I've accepted that I've got to let my father die, which is insane. So just having all of that be a part of this and Miguel pushing past, past this, Miguel, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 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 Miles pushing past this and telling Miguel, no, I'm going to walk my own path. No, I'm going to do this thing. No, I'm going to find my way out of it. And I'm going to show you is so powerful because Miguel is caught up in this cycle of trauma. And he's convinced all these people that if they don't let this cycle of trauma continue, the whole universe is going to explode or blow up or whatever. And so we don't know what if that's true or not just because it happened to him. And how is the spot going to play into all of this? Because let me tell you, we haven't talked enough about it, but Spot's, con, Spot's part in all of this is fantastic. You talk about character progression from the geeky kid who is just trying, a geeky guy who's just trying to steal money out of an ATM with bread coming out of his body and the fight he has and trying to be the nemesis. And we're all thinking the same thing. Like, come on, guy, you're not his nemesis. You're a geeky guy. You're, you're, you're a villain of the week. And we all agreed with that. And then slowly but surely, as he grabs more power, uh, this is such a great job of Jason Schwartzman. His voice takes on a mania a kind of evil villain mania that you understand, even though it's born from an incorrect assumption of what happened, the fact that it's blossoming into this legitimately powerful creature or being that wants to just quietly destroy everyone you ever loved. And he says it so simply with no laugh or evil, anything. It's just so simply that it's chilling to experience it. So just the way they progress that character as well throughout the whole movie, I think is just genius. Um, yeah, those are my two cents on that. Sorry, I'm going off for a bit on that. I mean, that was that was that was twenty five. That was twenty five cents. I do I do agree with you. Like one thing, one thing I think you said that I a thousand percent agree with is yeah. I think I think Rio Morales is the low key MVP of this movie. Oh, hundred percent. Like like everyone 100%. is amazing. It's a great Miles story. It's a great it's a great Gwen story. But man, Rio Morales brings the heat like as much as the scenes with miles and jeff were so powerful in the first movie and as much as jeff is great in this movie like yeah yeah. he's he's awesome um i'm with you that scene with rio yeah oof it like hits me in the gut every time like just so emotional yeah um and then to get to the end of the movie where he has this whole coming out moment with rio yeah but then it goes just completely awry because it's not his Rio. Like it just it it's so good. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the only spoil like we've done a lot of spoiler reviews of movies. Yeah. This is one of the only spoiler reviews where I just feel like all I'm doing is just screaming about this movie so good. Like <laughs> I got no notes. I got no issues. Yeah. I got no complaints. <laughs> like this movie 
did it for me. Yeah, agreed. Well, let's uh, take a quick break because we're at the 30-minute mark, and we will jump into all the characters that we got to see in this movie. Uh, and I'm sure dive into a little bit more of the story and the story beats with all these characters as well when we come back uh, right after this. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This one's for Michael. There you go. There you go. God, he's so handsome. I mean, just like, <laughs> thank you. I'm still recovering. I'm still recovering from my gay pride weekend. Gay pride weekend number one in Los Angeles, because we have two. And I really appreciate the allyship of showing me Tom Holland's face. It makes me feel good. Hey, Miles. There it is again. Hey, Miles. He's so handsome. He's so handsome. <laughs> uh, let's hit some of these super chats that have come through, because I want to make sure we honor this. Uh, Vincent Zawada says, I loved the movie, but love No Way Home. And uh, uh, Ramey's one first two more. Oh, Vincent, I'm sorry. I, I can't agree with you, Vincent. I'm sorry. Um, Francisco Lopez but, says, man, I love these this film. Love every character I see from Miles, Gwen, Peter Spot, Hobie, Miguel, and other, and love the different animation from each character in place. Also, I knew about the twist because before the machine took Miles home, it shows that it was going to drop Miles to Earth-42, the same Earth the spider came from. The only thing I'm scared about uh is this spider-man films is that uh they might connect this to the mcu in a big way i see people like screen crush and others saying that they can see miles being in this mcu and be involved in the secret war uh secret wars i hope it doesn't happen uh gentlemen miles miles take miles is a big part of the more recent secret wars comic true uh that i feel like secret wars is gonna be based on and there's a world where that might be a way to introduce Miles. Yeah, I think yeah. that I think that live action Miles is inevitable. As we talked about on oh, our yeah. show this week, John, yeah. whether Miles is part of the MCU or Miles is part of the Sony universe, Miles is so popular and just the box office of this weekend alone yeah, yeah, yeah. almost def almost definitively says that we will see a live action Miles at some point. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people in the chat saying this, and I don't disagree with you that if you're going to bring Miles Morales to live action, you might as well have Lord and Miller do that movie. <laughs> like, I don't, I at, this, at this point, yeah. I don't think, if Lord and Miller do a live action Miles, and we're like, oh, that was nice, it wasn't as good as Spider-Verse, but it was Lord and Miller, so I get it, fine. Anyone else does it, I'm like, you're not going to do a better Miles than Lord and Miller did. Yeah. Like, you just, it's, you just can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even their character, like a Dave Filoni type situation, but they've kind yeah. of made it their character through these two animated films. And I'm sure the third one uh, will be stellar as well. 
Um, Gabriel Schaefer uh, says, I just want to know why Miles glitched in U42 of his DNA match that universe. Shouldn't he have glitched in his original universe? Science me, gentlemen. Well, <laughs> so <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Uh, so Miguel O'Hara, who designed these uh, spider machines, yes. um, because he's so tied to the canon of the spider universe and the giant web that connects them, which Miles called a spider verse, which is way better than Miguel's name. Um, obviously, what he is going to be tracking in the design in the machine that he designed would be the spider bite because that is the thing that connects them all. Therefore, it is the spider DNA, not the human DNA, that is important. Thus, the forty-two as opposed to the is it sixteen ten or six ten? I can't remember. Uh, but that is your uh, comic book science lesson for the day. It is the well. spider bite DNA not the DNA of the human. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> Professor McClung, Professor McCounter. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Good to but see you I concur. Do think, Good to um, see the you previous, concur. the previous, uh, the previous comment. Yeah. It is funny. And I do love this about movies. When a movie tells you what it's doing yes. in a way, there are a lot of people, I think Screen Crush said this, uh, the previous comment said this, if you're smart and you're paying attention, that screen straight up says Earth 42. Yes, yes, straight up. Yeah. I was so into the movie and just like on the ride that it didn't even occur to me. So I didn't realize that anything was weird until I saw Rio Morales' eyes. Right. And I was very confused right. as to why she had green eyes. Oh, good. And gosh. then I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but like they they were they did it. And actually, in seeing it the second time, yeah, like Miles goes into his bedroom, nothing is the same. That's All a of great the posters point. are different. Like, yeah, yeah. like like the fact that they were brave enough to go, we're just gonna put it out there. Yeah. And we're going to trust that the audience is on the ride. And if they realize it, they're going to be like, I know what's going to happen. But if they don't realize it, like I was in and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, but I, I love that they didn't go out of their way to try and fake it. Yeah. We, we should have known, Shannon, that they were in the wrong universe when he had Roy Kent's poster and Keeley's poster up on his wall. That should have been the giveaway. For <laughs> okay. <laughs> just um, he does like blondes. Dave Hornack said, just supporting the best show and group of geeks on YouTube. Thanks for going live to spoil really this great movie tonight. Oh, thank you, Dave. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, it's a very kind donation, Dave. Uh, let me hit some of these Streamlabs, too. I want to leave people. Ambling Soul, Cheryl, hey, she says, just the geek buddies I was looking for. There were some comic book issues that were displayed to break up some of the chapters of the film. Were those real comic book covers or were they made up for the film? Ooh, I made up for the film, okay. but many of them done in the style of those comic books. So like okay. when Miles meets Miguel and it says right. Spider-Man 2099, Miles whatever well, yes. i don't remember what the but but like the the art style mm -hmm. is done in the art style of the spider-man 2099 comic book so they yeah. did a really good job of even though they're all just sort of made up for the moments that are hitting the story beats yeah. um making them feel like they were real comic book covers of the era that that character or that uh storyline was coming from yeah absolutely you can here's an example of that there you go that's the original one i have this one um, I collected this one for about five years. 
uh, and was just so in love with Spider-Man 2099. So I love to see those illusions in the comic book covers when we were seeing them. So good catch, Cheryl. Thanks for the question. House Groove. House Groove says, on the tech side of things, what did you guys think about how you could see the layout lines in 2099 New York and the animation rig on spot? I personally loved it. Mike, uh, Shannon, what did you guys think of this? The the spot thing really got me. I love that they made the choice with spot to be able to see all those circles and all the lines <laughs> of the of the animation happening within him. I mean, that's kind of what I feel about this whole movie is they and I will say this as being someone who's been uh, in rooms where you're figuring out the animation style of a show that you're going to do or the things that you want to do is almost 100% of the time you will have a creative team come in and say we want to do something different we want to do a really squash and stretch animation style we want to do this we want to do this we want to do this stuff and you have executives being like "Ooh, I don't know that feels crazy and so stuff like seeing those uh those uh, sort of underlayer lines on spot mm. are things that executives would be really uncomfortable with, but they got to do in this movie. And to me, that's really thrilling. Yeah. Shannon, your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, the, again, going back to end of the spider verse, like the, the idea on paper, like when, if you're just reading this script, the idea yeah. that you're bringing in these other characters like Spider-Man noir, who's only going to be in black and white, yeah. like Spider-Ham, who's going to look like a Looney tune. Um, uh, 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 it shouldn't. It shouldn't work. I mean, right. it really, really shouldn't work. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they were able to do that and were so successful at it enabled them to double and triple down for this movie. I mean, the whole Da Vinci Vulture section. Oh my god! I mean, I was like, I could watch a whole movie of yeah. that. Like, yeah. take me to the Da Vinci Spider-Man universe where everything is sort of, uh, you know, just sort of steampunky and everything looks like old parchment. I'm like, that is amazing. So, I mean, all of the all of the choices that they made, especially with a character like Spot, who is so um, unstable, yeah. I, I think that art choice really, really worked. I also thought the physicality of Spot really worked. That idea of the more like kind of like weird walking, the it almost feel like it almost feels zombie like in the way it moves, like the Slender Man. Yeah, like the Slender Man. Yes, great point. So it just it was like so well done to like subconsciously evoke that kind of thing. Like this unsettles me. He's funny and he seems kind of dumb initially, but it unsettles me. And so when he grows into his power, you're like, oh, now this is even more uh, uh, terrifying to to witness for sure. Uh, I am Two Fly Cam says uh, hello, geek buddies. Welcome back, Shannon. I hope you are all well. Um, I haven't seen this Spidey flick yet, but it sounds amazing. I had a small question. What film are you all looking forward to the most with what's left of the summer? Uh, I will answer MI7 right now. It's absolutely the number one film I'm looking forward to. Gentlemen, what do you have? Well, I feel like The Flash is the easy answer. Okay. Um, and Indiana two. Jones is the expected answer. <laughs> Um, but okay. I'm going to throw out because we've heard so much about those two. Uh, the last voyage of the Demeter, the oh, yeah. Dracula movie that's coming out in August. Okay. Michael. Um, obviously I'm stoked for the flash. I'm cautiously excited for Indy. I, I gotta say Ninja Turtles might be Ooh. my most, like I am so excited for Ninja Turtles right now. Like that last trailer really got me. And especially on the heels of Spider-Verse being so amazing. True. And the fact that the two biggest openings of 2023 this year 
have been Mario and Across yeah. the Spider-Verse. Yep. And I just feel like, I mean, obviously we are all animation fans and mm-hmm. given given my job, I'm a huge animation fan, but I feel like this is the summer of animation, man. Yeah. Like I might not have loved the Mario movie, but I am glad that hardcore Mario fans got a movie that they could really embrace. And I'm glad that it did as well as it did for animation in general. Mm-hmm. As I said, I think Across the Spider-Verse is maybe one of the best movies I've ever seen. And yep. Ninja Turtles looks so good that I just, I'm I'm with everybody that says Across the Spider-Verse should be a Best Picture nominee. And I hope that Ninja Turtles comes out and does the same kind of box office, just proving that animation is not just a genre for kids. Yeah. Yeah, well, like uh, Guillermo said, animation, cinema, yep. animation, and cinema. For God's sake, uh, Fantastic Fourteen says, "If I have one complaint about Across the Spider Verse, it's that it reminded me of my abuelita when I'm finished eating and she keeps shoving more food in my face. I'm full, but the food is so good." Yeah, hundred percent. By the way, the food in that movie looked good. Like when they were yeah. at that barbecue, and then Miles went and like <laughs> whip webbed all that stuff to give to Gwen. I was like, I, I would eat that. <laughs> all the different type of food that was on there even uh when he was giving that food to uh to spider-man 2099 which i thought was hilarious as well anytime out. i see cake on a screen it doesn't matter if it's all smashed <laughs> i'm like uh, cut me a slice you gotta love that cake um well let's move on to these characters here gentlemen we got a bunch of new spider people and spider creatures that came into our purview as we were watching the movie we'll get to the acting and we'll get to that in just a little bit but i want to hit the uh the different spider people that we got in this as we mentioned spider-man 2099 miguel o'hara being introduced the one spider-man that doesn't rely on jokes he's a completely different spider-man he is actually an anomaly in the world of spider-man which is really interesting. by the way he doesn't have jokes but he is very funny like i just wanted like he's funny in a different way sure but when when he says to peter b parker I've had the right amount of you and yeah. walks away. I was like, God, that's a, like, like, and just his annoyance with uh, yeah. the other funny Peter Parkers or his annoyance with spider punk, like Oscar Isaac gives a low key, hilarious performance for a character that is not funny. Yeah, it's, good point. It, it's the deadpan. It's the yeah. deadpan as he's holding Mayday. And you see him slowly give her back. Like the the, I, I'm curious if how much of Oscar Isaac's performance they referenced when they were animating that character because Ooh, the Oscar Isaac deadpan is just yeah. so so stellar. Yeah, and his little like Spanish comments to himself, his little Spanish asides, yeah. are hilarious. It's just so so funny. Man. <laughs> um, let's get to my uh, MVP of the movie, not Hobie. Hobie. I mean, come on, Hobie. <laughs> oh my god spider punk that is my ethos come to life and I, I thought you know i went into this movie like spider-man 2099 can't wait to see it love this character collected this is my spider-man and i came out with spider punk dancing in my head uh and uh, wanting to see more of that and i thought daniel kaluuya did a wonderful job bringing him to life and those little moments they gave him to lead up to the moment where he saves miles and he's done what he needs to do for miles I thought paid off so, so fucking well. Him quitting and piecing out. You're like, oh, I guess that's it for Spider-Punk. And then him showing up near the end of the movie. I got to help Miles. I thought that was just fantastic stuff to see. And his and him even showing Miles, telling Miles, use your palms, not your fingers. That's the thing that helps Miles get out of that situation uh, with Miguel in, in the uh, cage they were essentially going to put him in. So what what did you guys think of Spider-Punk throughout the whole movie and how Daniel Kaluuya did there? Shan? Nailed it. No, actually, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, nailed it. 
Go ahead, Shannon. <laughs> Uh, nailed it. Um, but, but also, <laughs> like, <laughs> when, when at, at, you know, in the lead up to this movie, you would hear the casting announcements. And knowing that there were going to be so many spider people, you know, we really didn't know who's going to who's gonna play a big part, who, who isn't. Right. Um, I had no idea that Spider-Punk was going to be such an integral part of the film. And Daniel, and like, not really knowing a ton about spider-punk either yeah. the fact that he's making this british rocker vibes i mean he looked at his art style looks like he was peeled off of a sex pistols poster that has been <laughs> totally. in the back of a pub for 30 years i mean his <laughs> his performance was just so good i mean as he's commenting on mayday saying you know you're taking a crap on the you're taking a crap on on the establishment i salute you you know she's an anarchist i'm like they all of his lines were so beautifully delivered and even in those really tense moments as miles is starting to be surrounded and you yeah. hear jessica kind of like try, try to check him like yeah. you know you're not helping good i mean he, yeah. he was just such a great character yeah. and miles wasn't wrong when he took his mask off and he says how do you look more cool <laughs> without the mask than with the mask i mean he's just such a great great character but also the response to that which is I was always this cool. <laughs> like, it's just great. He is, it, it, again, this is just great storytelling. So you have this character that is anti-establishment. Like, everything about his, he is definitively, he is punk. He is anti-establishment. He's anti-the man. And he's part of this sci spider society yeah. that is kind of, in the world of spider people, establishment. Yeah. So right. it, it automatically doesn't make sense a little bit. But then very smartly they said okay well it doesn't make sense let's make that the story yeah like he's been doing this for a while he's been doing his thing but the set but he thinks miles is cool he gets what's going on he's like i feel like this is like some fucked up so like roca says like he he's the one who's like hey use your hands use your full hand to get out of this thing and then he's the one that gives gwen um her 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 thing to get yeah. out of it like yeah it it's so smart and he's just he literally is like he is the epitome of every single one of us were watching him and going i kind of wish i was that cool <laughs> like it was i'm not that yeah. cool but yeah. god it would be nice to be that cool well what does anti-establishment person need they need an establishment so he has to join that establishment in order to rebel against the establishment that's how it works that's how it works why do you think i joined clubs to be an anti-establishment for fuck's sake breaking up on the inside i love it but yeah i mean i i thought he was it just a fantastic performance and there was like the way he was drawn and shani make a great point the look of him as if the the vulture wasn't so incredibly different uh, already in the first twenty minutes of that uh, of the movie, getting uh, um, uh, Hobie coming in here and the look that he has and the different appearances and the way it's kind of like jagged and the way it's doing, it's all so perfect. I mean, even when he doesn't want to show us his secret identity at first, which is hilarious, and doesn't want to tell you his story. Uh, stop that! Enough of that. That's so punk. And then when he doesn't want to help, like you said, Mike, when he doesn't want to be a part of this thing and Jessica calls him out, he doesn't care. You know, he's very yeah. much going to walk his own path. And when Miles wants to go to HQ, it's Punk who's like, oh, God damn it. I thought you were different. You know, you might be different. So I love that uh, in, in what he's doing. Let's move on to uh, Pavitia Pravakar. I hope I'm saying that right, that said right there. Um, the, what 
Moonbatten, this is Miles first coming into a different world here after he's had the conversation with his mom, after he's seen what Spot is actually going to do when he's invisible with Jessica and with with uh, Gwen. What, and, and so he dives into this thing chasing Gwen and he ends up in Moonbatten. What a beautiful introduction to a version of Spider-Man and seeing this version of Spider-Man here, uh, voiced by Karan Sony, who some of you may know as the taxi driver in Deadpool, seeing what he can do with this character, and he's unusually confident. His hair is just naturally this great, just coconut oil and jeans and sleep or something. And then and prayer and, and prayer, prayer, right? And his physical body, and then calling them out for the chai tea stuff. But he's got the romance <laughs> going on. He's got that version of Captain of the Captain uh, Captain, Captain Stacy. It's so great, Captain Singh. Yes, it's so great the way it's fleshed out. And that design of that Spider-Man is so fantastic as well. What did you guys think of that? Um, I was listening to an interview with uh, Karan Sony, and he said that oh. he went in and he did all his dialogue. He did all his voiceover. And then um, Lord and Miller and the team called him back and said, we didn't feel like it was authentic enough. <laughs> like, like you were great. Like you were great. We just feel like the dialogue that we had for you wasn't oh. authentic enough. And they had a writer's room, but they invited him in and wow. said, just pitch us your stuff. And so a lot of the jokes, like the chai tea joke and the traffic yeah. joke, like he brought it in and he was like, this was just such a fun. It was so collaborative. It felt right. so nice. And you, I think you really see that in Mumbatan. Like it just feels yeah. right. Like I say that as a white guy, but like, but like I I I, I well, saw so it with an in, I saw it with an Indian woman today, and she oh. was very taken with the entire <laughs> sequence. Um, but like, but uh, she, yeah, it just it just everything about it was cool. He's a great character. Um, the fact that he's only been a Spider Man for six months, yeah. Um, but he's so kind of fun and cocky and charming and silly and ridiculous. Like the and the world is so beautiful. Like mm -hmm. everything about it. Like that entire sequence was amazing. And again, like I think I said this earlier, but I, I spend most of this movie on the verge of tears. Yeah. Like this movie just repeatedly will be like, oh, here's a scene with Miles and Rio. I'm crying. Yeah. Here's a scene with Miles and his dad. I'm crying. Here's this moment with Captain Singh about to die and Peter and Miles going in and saving him and Pavatir Pravakan didn't say that right, but it was close. Yeah. Uh, you know, having that <laughs> Spider-Man, yeah. that classic Spider-Man moment of I can't save them both. Like yeah. it they just they just nailed it across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Shannon, your thoughts on this? I mean, the comedy here was just just on point. I mean, the whole thing of you came to India to find yourself. That's such a Western cliche and all of this. Don't eat, pray, love me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Car and Sony is just such a, he, again, such a funny, funny, funny performer. His, his dopender in, in the Deadpool movies is, yeah. is fantastic. But what I love about his character is he is a Spider-Man who everything in his life seems to be going correctly. Yeah. Like yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't need to work out. You know, he's already buff. He doesn't want to get too big. Doesn't need to do much to his hair. Doesn't, doesn't need to go to still. He doesn't need to go to school. He still goes. Um, the only thing in his life, the only sort of real obstacle is Captain Singh. Yeah. And yeah. Captain Singh is, is the one who, who is saved at the end. I mean, the performance was just so, so funny. And as you all already talked about the art, just the the, the design of Moonbatten, um, just so gorgeous. I mean, so just epic in its design. And so many of those 
the, the culturally specific humor that we like again as us not being uh, of an indian background and we're yeah. like we get that th this is funny yeah. and I, I think i saw someone in the chat like folks who who you know who are who do who do have indian ancestry um it the comedy is up here for them yeah it's it's just so it was just so much fun and you know towards the end when the city is getting sucked into you know one of the uh, spots 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 yeah um it also gave us one of Spider Punk's best lines when he says it's a metaphor for capitalism. <laughs> I mean, but Spider Punk has the best lines. I agree, 100, 100, man. They're just coming. Also, out yeah. really quick in the chat yeah. uh, to Jermaine Smith, uh, Lord and Miller didn't have the Confederacy take. That was Benioff and Weiss. Ah, yeah, that was Benioff and Weiss. Nice just try. so we're clear on just so we're clear on writing teams. Yeah. Benioff and Weiss, we don't love yeah, after season eight of Game of Thrones and their confederacy take. Confederacy take. Lord and Miller, they're still cool. Yeah. Come on, Jermaine. Do a little research, brother. Do a little research. Uh, let's uh, move on to Jessica Drew. Issa Rae delivering another wonderful performance, either behind the mic or in front of the camera or behind the camera. Uh, Issa just doing a wonderful job with her. And this is a relative. I think this was a character that's created specifically for Across the Spider-Verse. There was a Jessica Drew, obviously, in in as a spider woman but this is a newer version this is a new version made yeah. just for the film and i think it works so well you know haven't i saw people get upset that she's pregnant what a dumb thing to be upset about and she's pregnant she's doing this why? thing and I, I people are so upset about this nonsense why but i know i don't know because they need something to be upset about because i guess i think most people are upset about stuff because they have a pampered life that's my belief and, and you see this kind of thing with her and then her chain like her wanting to be a mentor for gwen she advocates for gwen to be on the team and then later, she's the one that's like, I told you, if you didn't catch him, that I wasn't going to be able to help you against Miguel. And sure enough, she sticks true to her word. But she does see what Gwen does there with Peter's parent or with uh, Miles's parents. She does see what's going on here. So has more of a circumspect. And she's the one that looks down when Gwen says we're supposed to be the good guys before she's sent uh, into Peter's world. So uh, Miles's world. So, uh, gentlemen, your thoughts on on the design of, of, uh, of uh, spider woman here or jessica drew and uh, the overall performance and what she had to do here in the movie uh, shannon go ahead no no go for it uh i think i think Issa Rae did an amazing job with not a lot like like <laughs> like compared well compared That's to fair. like compared yeah. to hobie and compared to like so many other characters like she, like Je this jessica drew doesn't have a ton of lines right no true um it's but what Issa Rae is able to get out of those lines is so good and just defines this version of Jessica Drew so specifically. And you're right, John, like she is, she is, she is Miguel's, uh, ride or die. She is on yeah. team Miguel. Yes, like she, she is there. Um, and she, she knows when to push him. Like she does at the beginning at the Guggenheim when she's like, look, Gwen is, I know you don't want her involved cause she's too close to the anomaly, but She's in a spot, and she's the one that gets Miguel to let her in. Um, but then she, very next scene that she's in, she tells Gwen, she's like, look, if you fuck up again, I don't got your back. <laughs> yeah, I can't help you. I can't And she just has, yeah. she's such a well-defined character for having such a small part. Like, that's mm -hmm. that's the thing that I think is really great about her is that you just get who she is. Yeah. And I think that she's going to have a really, really interesting role in beyond the spider verse. Oh yeah. Like they've set her up mm -hmm. so well because she is that character that you're like, you've given us enough that we like her. 
Mm-hmm. Like we, like I think that most people, you're like, I like, I, I don't agree with Jessica Drew. Yeah. I agree with Miles, and I agree with Gwen, and I agree with Team. Let's go save Miles. And Jessica Drew's on the other side, but I think that her turn or her arc, whatever it's going to be in the next movie, they've set it up so solidly that wherever they take it, I trust that it's going to be really satisfying. Because you're right, John. Like we see her at the end, she does look down yeah. when Gwen says, "We're supposed to be the good guys," and then she sees what Gwen says to Miles' parents. So where she goes in this next movie, she's like a linchpin character. Yeah, and you can't ignore that she's a black woman and Miles is a half black kid. And so there's a sense of connection to that, him being a black kid, his connection to that and what that means. And, you know, and all of that. And then you got Hobie, who's black as well. You got that, those connective tissues, a little older than Miles. How is that connected in terms of that culture and what we're going to in that? So I'm so curious to see how that's going to go down with her. And look, what, as we're talking about this, it occurs to me this word anomaly. They're all anomalies. She's pregnant, he's a punk. She's the spider Gwen that's different than everyone else. You've got M- Miguel is the one that's like this big guy, doesn't make any jokes. Miles is an anomaly. So every single one of even Peter B. Parker bringing his own toddler, you get mad about a pregnant spider woman. You got to be mad about an actual toddler being involved in, as someone put here in the Spider-Man Battle Royale. I mean, it's absolutely true. So there's so much of all of them that make them anomalies. So it's going to be interesting. And I think it is going to be, uh, uh, Jessica, who turns the tables on Miguel and makes him uh, send, stand up as, and notice. It's, I mean, it's not the first time a black woman has stopped a megalomaniacal male from taking over a situation. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts on Jessica Drew and how she did in this in the in the film? Yeah, I should have gone first because you guys already took everything. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> 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 sorry, but, but no, I mean, I was going to say she is. She is the definition of a supporting character in in this one. Mm. But by the end of the film, you can tell that she is going to have a uh, a larger part to play. Yeah, Not yeah, just, yeah. I imagine, in screen time, but also in terms of how the story lays out. Yeah, um, yeah she is. She's Miguel's number two. I mean, she's a, she's his lieutenant. She she's a true believer right now. Yeah. Um, I love the fact that they put her on a motorcycle. I love the fact that she <laughs> shot webs out of all five fingers. Yeah. I was like, that is just, you know, the, the way to differentiate all these people who roughly have kind of the same power set. I'm like doing things like that. And again, I didn't, re- the only Jessica Drew that I've read about was in New Avengers back in like oh yeah, 2004, the, right, leading up to the, the scroll really invasion. Um, but but I, I like this version. I like the fact that yeah. she wanted to take Gwen under her wing. And you do get that sense, that that mentor-mentee vibe uh, relationship that they have. And how, especially that holographic projection of Gwen talking to Miles' parents, that that is a moment, you know, listening to a set of parents. And that's what she's about to become. I yeah. mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot there. And it's interesting that you say that. I didn't think about this until just now when you said it, but the whole riff of Peter B. Parker talking about what a good mentor he is and Jessica Drew being like, you're not a good mentor. And then him being like, well, he just stopped you. So I guess I'm a pretty good mentor, (laughs) but that Jessica Drew is to Gwen a little bit what Peter B. Parker is to Miles. So there is a little bit of, what's the right way to be a mentor in the same way that Peter is struggling with how to be a good father. Like, again, all of the thematic stuff just lines up perfectly. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Let's hit, um, uh, let's hit the uh, other ones and then we'll hit the cameos, but let's hit the, 
we got a we got a spider cat we got spider rex uh we got all kinds of we had a, a metro spider who was a part of this ben riley oh my god andy sandberg is ben riley <laughs> Just incredible stuff. Amanda Stenberg from The Hate You Give. She played Spider Bite, who was, of course, the person in charge of that uh, situation. We also had Jack Wade in here as Peter Parker. Um, who else do we have? Jorma Tacone, who's playing the, the, the vulture at the beginning. Um, and Elizabeth Perkins, who played May. Uh, so there was a lot of interesting spider people that, go, that went through here. And then, of course... Yuri Lowenthal, my brother there from, he was showing up as the Insom- as the uh, Spider-Man from the Insomniac games. And then our person who was, uh, you know, he actually got a line to say to Miles, which I thought was really cool. Josh Keaton as Spectacular Spider-Man, who we had the entire cast on a Geek Buddy show one time, Michael and Shannon. So what were your thoughts about seeing all these different, sp- and listen, that, I just kind of scratched the surface of all yeah. the different Spider-Man that we got in the different variations from the video game as well. What did you guys think about all the different Spider-Man who, who stood out for you all and Spider-Women, of course. Well, not, not surprisingly, um, since spectacular Spider-Man was my first job as an executive, um, <laughs> all the spectacular Spider-Man love literally just kind of was the icing on a perfect cake for me. Yeah. Um, like when they show the uncle Ben deaths and you got the Tobey Maguire scene from the Sam Raimi movie, you also have the spectacular Spider-Man uncle Ben death. Uh, that we did right. in that yeah, first yeah, season yeah. Of, of Spectacular Spider-Man. And the fact that Josh got to do his line in Spectacular Spider-Man, like, it really, it didn't, I would have loved the movie regardless, but it, it didn't hurt my love for the movie that the very first animated show that I was a development executive on uh, got as much love as it did. <laughs> Shannon, any of the Spider-People stand out to you uh, that you want to uh, kind of highlight? That we oh, Web Slinger. Web slinger all the way. <laughs> I mean, cowboy Spider-Man and Miles asking, why does the horse need a mask? <laughs> but it also led to, and this is one of those moments where the comedy gets so broad, but it yeah. still works when Miles ends up during the big chase, Miles ends up on his horse and he says on three, draw one. <laughs> and Miles flips it. You didn't wait for three. <laughs> it's that type, it's that type of just ridiculous yeah. humor that is so it's very lord and miller i mean yeah, you know, yeah, if yeah, you've yeah. watched any, any clone high the last man on earth all the stuff that they have done i mean it, it, it's so in keeping with that but it never loses its stakes i will say yeah. to shannon's point because i think it's an important point to make that yeah. watching across the spider-verse made me feel oh this is what kathleen kennedy was concerned about and she was wrong <laughs> yeah yeah, like you can tell because Shannon's right. It is. I think that when you talk about it from an execution standpoint, yeah, there's a fear. What they do shouldn't work sometimes. Right, right, right. Like right. to have these very intense dramatic moments, and then have like a very broad joke yeah. come in. It it totally feels like you're in a weird place. But that is what Lord and Miller do. They've done it consistently through right. every piece of content tv and film that they've made and it just really does feel like on solo this is what they were doing and there was a fear that broad humor in a dramatic moment isn't star wars right but i think it would have been i mean the yeah. fact that they had a giant spider-man t-rex who when he s- sent his webs out at miles it didn't say thwip it said t-whip <laughs> because he is a t-rex that's fucking funny and so stupid, but so funny. 
You're so you're so right. I mean, uh, the, one of the, the sequence with all the Spider-Man chasing him. I mean, the fact that he is hiding on the back of one of them, and that that whole just that little beat, the genius of that little beat. Of course, it opens up with everyone pointing at each other. Which Spider-Man am I supposed to go after? And then when they turn and see, and then Miles is on the back of, him, and you see Miguel running in the distance. He's behind you. He's behind you. And the guy's turning around, going, "Well, I don't see," and he's feeling behind himself. I mean, it just. All of that is absolute genius in how they were laying that down. Yeah, I agree. But Ben Riley is the one. Jesus Christ, man. I, ben Riley was. I, yeah. Shout out well, to my boy, Coy, Coy Jander, who's a big fan of Ben Riley. Talks about Ben Riley all the time. He's a big Ben Riley stand. I didn't, I didn't, I've never understood that because it's such a stupid storyline, the clone thing with Ben. And I remember reading those issues and I was like, this is dumb. And to see it played in this way was so smart because it doesn't disrespect the character it makes fun of the character without disrespecting the character which is not easy to do and hook he's involved in the stuff at the end so for all the angst ben's actually involved in the stuff at the end which i think is is a really good way to make there, that work so there's yeah. that great documentary on amazon about galaxy quest oh yeah 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 and one of the things they talk about with galaxy quest and this is very hard to do is to make fun of something that you love. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Galaxy Quest is such a great movie because it fully makes fun of Star Trek yeah. while clearly being in love with Star Trek. And the Ben yeah. Riley character is that. Like, if you read comics in the 90s Ugh. and everything was like that Todd McFarlane, like sort of super detailed, muscly, let's do this pose on a splash page with the thing. And that Ben Riley character <laughs> is 90s comics. Like, that is what he is. He's like, oh, I'm holding on to you with my perfectly muscular arm. Like, it's, <laughs> it's like you work in this movie. Yeah. And you're really funny, but I don't feel like you're making fun of a thing that I loved because you also clearly love the thing that I love. That's a yeah. really hard yeah. balance to find, but they fully did it. <laughs> Perfect pose. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk one last thing before we go to another break here because uh, we've got to hit it. We're past the half hour mark. Uh, the cameos. I mean, the Donald Glover cameo, that is just incredible. So what have we done now? Have we connected some? I mean, that's he's technically the MCU. So in a way, you could argue, and I know he's in the Sony Spider-Verse as well. So where, where, what did you think of that cameo and any other cameos that you guys want to talk about or bring up here? I feel like that was a wink. Um, okay. I don't think okay. I don't think that's the guy we met in Homecoming. They gave that's, him two that's... scenes. They gave him two scenes. So well, yeah. No. yeah. It's clearly the guy we met in Homecoming. Is it? I don't think that's the guy. I think that's another ver I think that's another universe. All right. Why? <laughs> because because I, I I don't get the sense that that's the guy from Homecoming. Okay. Donald Glover in Homecoming plays Aaron Davis, mm -hmm. who becomes the Prowler. Right. And mentions his nephew. I'm gonna put that. Who right. lives in Brooklyn. Right. So Donald and Benedict Glover, Cumberbatch plays three different Doctor Stranges from different universes. I think he's not the guy from Homecoming. Okay. All right. Well, that's incorrect. But I think, no, I I, think he's got a right to respect you. But I respect you. I respect <laughs> you when you're wrong. Uh, Dorian, we Dorian Daniels should Spider Man should Spider Man Miles not glitch in forty two or his original universe? Uh, Dorian, see our answer to that question, which was about half an hour ago. Well, it isn't wanna... fair though. Like it is fair okay. that like you could argue. It worked because dramatically and a storytelling wise, it's the moment that Miles realizes for yeah. sure. Like it's a very clear visual indicator. Like you're not in the right universe. Yeah. You could argue that if 
the DNA of the spider is within him, maybe he would adapt to that universe. But I think for the purposes of the storytelling to be super, super clear, yeah. it was smart that they did it the way that they did. Agreed. Agreed. Um, all right. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll hit some more of these Streamlabs Super Chats and jump into some of these animation styles as we get close to the uh, uh, wrapping up our review. So if you want to send in your Streamlabs or Super Chats, do it now. Uh, and for those of you who are watching and you, you haven't subscribed to the channel, please hit that subscribe button right now and hit that bell button so you see when we're dropping all the content we do here, including these surprise spoiler reviews that we do after uh, these big films come out so you can hang out with us and talk about it. We'll be right back uh, right after this. I, I lost it. <laughs> what I, was that supposed to be the Spider-Verse theme? I was trying. It didn't work. I mean, I heard it. I'll give you I'll give you that I like I, I heard where you were going even if you didn't get there. Up here it was perfect. <laughs> uh, all right, Jay West says I saw the movie 3 times this weekend. My main issue with the movie is the sound of the dialogue. Did you guys have any sound issues at your screenings? I have to say this has become a thing on the internet. I had I seen it twice. I had no problems with any of the sound of the dialogue. So, I don't know what happened there. Gentlemen, did you have any issues? I had I, it at one. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, I saw it at a prime theater first, an AMC Prime, and I did have some, I had some difficulty, especially with Hobie. Um, okay. I, I really had to strain to listen. Then I saw it in IMAX today and everything was perfect. Yeah, yeah I've heard, that. I've heard that this is an issue. I will say I saw it, uh, AMC IMAX, Regal IMAX. Mm. Both times I was fine, but I do think that at the beginning in the whole sequence with Gwen and the Vulture oh. and with Hobie, there were moments that like I I, I could hear it, but I strained a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that depending on the feeder you're in, there's something about the sound mix. This is I think this is just a thing that's going on. I don't know what it is, man. It's like it's like the whole super dark black thing in TV shows right now where everything yeah. at night gets so dark like. It just feels like uh, we're living in the post Christopher Nolan Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Let's just really give you a soundscape <laughs> that maybe sometimes is a little too much. You're saying we're in a post. He's essentially the spot. His tenant is the spot for our yeah. sound and our visuals. Uh, let me hit some Streamlabs as well. Uh, yeah, here we go. Here's a nice spice. Is what percentage? Does Across the Spider-Verse have a chance of getting a Best Picture Oscar nomination? Well, look, we're in June. And we're in. if we're in June, I think it has a very high percentage. If all of these established critics are saying this in their reviews, then I think it has a very good chance, myself personally, of being nominated. It doesn't mean that the voting bodies are going to vote for it, but I think it's a... I think it has a very strong possibility. Certainly yeah, a Golden well, Globe's in play. Certainly. When we got out, when we got out of... Um our Saturday viewing, my first viewing yeah, yeah. at the Grove, I was, I talked to everybody that I came out with and I said, I feel, so when I came out of everything everywhere all at once in January of last year, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I know it's January, but I think this might be the best picture of the year. And I know that it's not the type of movie that gets nominated. I know that it's like so early that the Academy is probably going to forget about it, but like, fuck man, that was good. Yeah. And then we got like we got to the end of the year and like that movie held on. People were so like it was good. And I have the same feeling about this. Like I love animated movies. There's a ton of animated movies that I go to that I'm like, man, that that should be a contender. But this one, I think I think it has the special sauce. I think yeah. it might make it. 
Shannon, what are your thoughts? I think it, I mean, best animated, absolutely. It's, it's oh, 100% winning it's, best animated. It's going animated. to win. Yeah. Best picture, it could happen. I could see it. I, I, could, I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't, though. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that everything that we saw on screen, it certainly deserves it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I look at this as something like Mad, like Mad Max from a few from oh, Fury yeah, Road. Fury I'm Road, like this yeah. is this is that like this is not the normal thing that you would think of with the best picture nominee. Yeah. But it is certainly it is certainly deserving. But I don't know, man. I I, I could see a, I could see some some bristling over it getting a nomination. Oh, of course, from the stuffy yeah, from the stuffy ones. Jim Fans across the Spider-Verse reaffirmed with me that Andrew Garfield Spider-Man went through the most pain and suffering. Homie had four canon events, LOL. His parents, Uncle Ben, Captain Stacy, and Gwen all dying. You would think that that second movie should have been better than it was, given the fact that that's true. Like, and again, you know, again, John, Johnny and I talked about this on, um, on, our, on our main show this week when we, when yeah. we rated the movies. Like, one of the reasons that Spider-Man No Way Home is so good to me is Spider-Man No Way Home handles... Amazing Spider-Man's Gwen death better yeah. than the movie where she died. Yeah. Like, Amazing Spider-Man 2 is garbage, but Andrew Garfield's feelings about losing Gwen in No Way Home, Ooh. gold. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Shannon, anything to say on that? Uh, no. Makes okay, sense. all right. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I was reading I was reading the chat. No worries. Uh, Doug, developers, Doug Developer. What's up, Doug? Good to see you. He says, hey, guys, absolutely love the movie. I was in a diverse theater screening where the Latino audience laughed boisterously at Rio's lines. Yeah. However, the film didn't add subtitles. John, do you mind translating some funny lines you remember that she said? Oh, damn. I don't remember some of the funny lines. I mean, when, when, he, when he said he didn't he got a B in Spanish. She was like, "Oh hell no! Like that's you're you're gonna go back in." Yeah, I'm gonna have I'm gonna be all up in your and, ass about this. And she yeah. snaps the Puerto Rican flag, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, she does. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So like she's dropping hammers uh, and dropping bombs on him for sure, and especially at the on the roof, the back and forth. I cannot remember. Sorry, guys, right now, right off the bat, all the stuff that she said. Sorry, Doug, I will the, say, the I will story. say, as a yeah. white guy, and I felt the same way about Spielberg's um, West Side Story. Uh huh. I like that it's not subtitled i do too i i i feel like even if i even though i don't know exactly what's being said i'm gonna get you a pen and i could desk and i could ask john i could you know i could i could call somebody i could look it up but like even though i don't know what's being said stop begging the desk stop begging the desk get you a pillow then you can back um, the desk but you're gonna hit the pillow go ahead yeah i feel like um not having the subtitles feels more intimate yes and it's agree. more emotional i i like it more it's more authentic you get it yeah. and you have to come reach you have to come to it and i yeah i think, I, I think that's, that's what it is view. yeah yeah by the way great to real quick uh, for, before i forget great billboard if you guys caught it with the bagel the bo- billboard as a reference to it's everywhere uh, everywhere all at once it's so smart to put in there <laughs> Uh, Gabriel Schiffer also asks, current theory, even with U42 DNA, he's vibrating at a U16 frequency, out of frequency equals glitching, which means our hero has less than 48 hours to get home. Okay. Does that mean that? I don't know. It sounds like it might. How long were the other spider people in uh, Miles' universe in the first movie? It was probably about 48 hours. Yeah. yeah maybe. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. All right. We'll, we'll put that down. 
Tim Sim says, curious about the next film beyond the Spider-Verse with it possibly entering MCU territory. Could it be seen as Sony and Amy Pascal helping Kevin Feige, Marvel, and Disney with repairing the MCU because of phase four problems? Oh, I, I don't know. Given production schedules <laughs> for animation, yeah. they did not make a badass movie to fix phase four and phase five. <laughs> they were already making a badass movie before we all started getting concerned. Yeah. So I don't think that's the case. And also despite the Donald Glover stuff, despite everything else, like I don't know that they're yeah. going to use this miles. Not like we're going to see this miles all of a sudden jump through some portal and all of a sudden be a live action character in secret wars. Like yeah. I feel like Marvel or Sony, one of them is we are going to see a live action miles, but I feel like this animated universe is kind of its own thing. And I'm okay yeah. with that. Like I, maybe there was a time around Infinity War Endgame where I would have been like, give everything to the MCU. Given some of phase four and phase five, I'm kind of like, yeah, maybe like just let's let us let this be this little gem over here that doesn't, let, let this be its own thing. Maybe, Shannon? Yeah, I would say keep this its own thing. I mean, yeah. like Sony, you know, is very protective of the Spider-Man character despite some of their past attempts in the live action films. Um, but they've really kind of struck gold with this so at this point it's like i i would say keep it keep it keep it on its own and you know number three it, it might not be done in terms of you know uh animation yeah. but that script is written like it is oh yeah it it's done <laughs> so i mean this took five years you know to come out so yeah 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 um, Doug wants to know as a follow up. He says, "My audience laughed so hard when Miles suggested Spider Man could be Dominican. What's the joke behind that?" LOL. Just that, like, he was going to get found out, right? That it could be that, and he's like, "Oh no, I don't think there's this kind of like every country has wants to own their thing." So if you're saying, "Oh, he seems like this," but it's it's a way of saying that like you're not recognizing that he isn't from here. And so it's just it's just that kind of thing, man. But I think also for like, I mean, again, for white people, it's like, oh, well, everyone's from South America or everyone's right. Exactly. If you are, you're like, well, there's differences. It's not all the same. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You try to tell people, especially within continents. South America is not Central America, is not Spain, is not Mexico. It's all differences there. Uh, Ricardo Quillis said, uh, love that there were no subs for the Spanish. We talked about that. Absolutely. Agreed. Rashawn Daly says, love that Jefferson took his wife's last name. Yeah, I saw a lot of people asking that with Miles Morales. Like, why didn't he take his dad's last name? But then, it's, you know, he took uh, his wife's last name. It's very progressive. And I dug it because, you know, she's I mean, listen, I'm going to say something. Look, Rio Morales is beautiful. If I was married to her in an animated world and she told me to take her name, I'd be very happy to take her name. So and I like the fact that they balance this out because you've got to know that he's half black and half Latino. So having that balance in the name, I think is super important because it was originally going to be Miles Davis. That was the original name they were going to go with. So they adjusted it so they could really highlight the Latino side of him as well. So, yeah. Is he Jeff Davis in the comics or is he Jeff Morales? He is Jeff Davis. Yeah. yeah. Bobby Jackson says, any word on Madam Webb showing up in the future? She is a multiversal character after all. Oh, man. <laughs> They're doing the Dakota one, so... I don't think so because... Um... So in the Spider-Verse comics that Dan Slott wrote, yeah. um, Madam Web was really at the center of that whole sort of connected web universe that Miguel kind of showed Miles. Yeah. So it seems like we've moved past the point where you would have a Madam Web. Like yeah. if they were going to have her, it feels like she would have been there to discuss 
the web that connected all the spider people. Yeah. Um, now that being said, we're all going to get to the trailer for Beyond the Spider-Verse and Madam Web's going to show up. I'm going to be like, well, fuck my drag. That was wrong. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I don't think so. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so yeah, Tim, Tim Simmons back says, since this will be a sweep for the best animated feature Oscar, which other Oscars should this film be nominated in and should it win the best picture Oscar to break the outdated comment of animation is for children? Um, uh, best score. Yeah, let Daniel, Daniel Pemberton, Pemberton score. Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead, Shannon. Daniel. No, Pemberton. no. I was gonna say Daniel Pemberton. Uh, Pemberton score. Uh, you know, he did. He did the first one as well. I mean, it, it's it's dynamite. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's certainly I mean, it certainly belongs there. He got. I mean, Daniel Pemberton got to do so. Like the first, the score for the first movie is amazing, but because this movie goes so many different places yeah, and has yeah. so many different characters with so many different vibes, he really got to uh, stretch his legs on this one. Like, mm-hmm. like, like, just be. T- I mean, like. Moonbatten doesn't sound like Nueva York. Hobie's theme doesn't sound like yeah. Miguel's theme. Like there's there's definitely a, a continuity. Like there's certain themes from the first movie that continue on musically in this movie. But yeah. this movie gets it it gets to do musically what it gets to do visually as well. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that as well. Especially that opening scene with Gwen fighting Vulture. The the, yeah. the music cues there are incredible. Man, it's like yeah, I think the simple. track the track on the soundtrack is Guggenheim Assemble. That's the that's the Gwen, Miguel, and Jessica fighting the vulture, and oh. it is, it's a bop, it's a bop, you guys. Uh, Samir says, uh, "Thank God, I only have nine months until uh, Beyond the Spider Verse drops." That's true. Uh, March, yeah, March of next year. Ooh, and then Chris wait. Taylor says, uh, "Where was the '90s animated Spider Man?" I was watching Screen Crush, so I'll give them credit for it. Yes. That. They went through uh, on their spoiler review, and uh-huh. at the end of it, they kind of went through and named as many Spideys as they could. And in the Spider headquarters, okay. uh, I do think 90 Spider-Man is in there, Yeah, just not as featured as some of the other Spider-Men. But there you go. All right. Uh, Jarell, uh, Rashawn says, Jarell Jerome from When They See Us is Miles G. Morales. And he's black and Dominican. Well, there you go. That's oh, interesting. Cool. I didn't fully realize that it was a different voice. Interesting. Okay. Shout out to um, uh, Metro Spider-Man as well, who was Metro, the actual artist. So it was nice to have him be like, hey, there's no way out. Oh, my bad, y'all. There is another way right. out. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Let's take another break real quick. And then we're going to jump into some animation styles as we uh, uh, wrap up uh, the show here. And if you want to send your Streamlabs and Super Chats, to make sure we answer interview questions about the movie. Now is the time to do so. It's also the time to subscribe to the channel while we're taking a quick little few seconds break. Do, 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 do. Yeah, that was pretty, that was close. That was that was pretty much it. I had to go from, from full chest to falsetto. It doesn't sound right, but the <laughs> notes were correct this time. <laughs> Let's give a big shout out. We haven't even mentioned them. We're an hour and 20 minutes in this review to the directors, Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson, all making, from what I understand, their feature film directorial debuts with this movie. And God damn, is this a calling card on so many levels for all three of them to do this. Shannon, I go to you first. I usually go to Mikey first. I go to you first on this one. What did you think of the direction overall and the action sequences that we got that were directed by them from the opening to the battle sequences in Mumbatan to what we get uh, with Spot and then to that final sequence there on the train and everything with all the different spider men and spider women and spider creatures chasing Miles? 
just the creativity in all of it. I mean, you know, opening with with the vulture, opening with a character who is so displaced in the universe that's being presented to us. And even though, you know, Gwen makes comments like, really, you had a blowtorch? You're made of parchment. <laughs> I mean, uh, j- just seeing the 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 creativity there. Um, Spot is the one, that first fight that he and Miles have that continues when uh, when Jeff gets involved. I think the Spot action is probably the most impressive for me when you're using yeah. a character who is... Uh, uh, nightcrawler like in that there there's a teleportation even if it's just a limb um it's it was incredibly effective but also really really funny and and a lot of that comes down to jason jason uh, schwartzman's performance as well marrying that with the action that the directors uh put in um a lot of this action is to me is like right out of uh avatar and and cora mm. i mean some of the angles especially at the end when it's uh uh miguel versus miles on the train yeah. that moment where he's kind of you know he fastball pitches him and you know takes him down on the train i mean it's just so it's so effective it's yeah. so it's just that edge of your seat type of action that you're looking at Miguel, who is as, not just physically, but just as a character, is so overpowering. Um, and, and again, part of that is the animation. Part of that is Oscar Isaac. Part yeah. of that's the writing. Um, but then watching Miles then being able to use his sort of uh, super venom sting uh, to get out of it. It's just it's just fantastic. I mean, I thought the, the three directors were were awesome. Yeah, yeah. Michael, you know, you've obviously work with directors in depth and doing animated stuff. So what were your thoughts as you were watching this film roll out and especially an animated film over two hours, by the way, I mean, their their ability to keep us entertained and thrilled and and, end on such a quote unquote empire strikes back moment uh, effectively making us look forward to the uh, next one. Yeah. I think we've talked a lot about Lord and Miller. And I think Mm -hmm. when you look at Lord and Miller's uh, track record, the their their stamp their style of emotional comedic storytelling is all over this but the directors really brought the heat I, as we said earlier this week i know joaquin dos santos i've known him for years yeah. uh i don't know the other two personally but i know some of their work uh they're just they're they're all really really strong but shannon's right the action is insane and i think i even said this when i tweeted out like the thing that i makes that makes this movie work so well is that the emotional storytelling which usually comes from the writing yeah. is also visual in this movie. Like there's no difference. So in Gwen's universe, because it's a giant watercolor mood ring, yeah. you are watching visually what's happening as you're listening to the dialogue. So, you know, Shannon's hundred percent right. The action in this movie does, I feel uh, double down and do even more than the action did in Into the Spider-Verse, which was already fantastic. Um, I think they really just pushed the limits of it, and it's amazing. But really, I think sometimes what you don't think about with an animated movie is the directing in the smaller sequences. Um, So whether that is Gwen and Miles sitting upside down so that the city is above them as they're having this really heartfelt conversation, or the subtle... Uh, reactions that Rio has when Miles says whatever and her eyes widen and she's like, whatever? <laughs> because when we see really good performances in live action, yeah, yeah, yeah. we see actors 
just having these really grounded moments. But in animation, somebody is sitting there having to go, what, what is a grounded moment? How do I make this feel real? Yeah. And the fact that so many of these moments with so many of these characters felt so real action, a hundred percent action is always the thing that everyone's going to go to and be like, that's amazing. Oh my God. It looks so good. But man, go back and watch like Rio and miles or Gwen and miles uh, on the building or some of the quieter moments. And that's where you go or like Gwen and her dad, when she comes back after yeah. uh, being sent away by Miguel oh. and the entire scene that they have, like just the subtle moments are equally as powerful to me as the amazing epic action moments. And that that's a sign of a really, a movie that's really, really well-directed. Yeah. I have to agree hundred percent with what both of you are saying. I mean, it just, you, you felt like you were in capable hands from the beginning. What a great opening sequence. And I got to see most of that opening sequence when I was at CinemaCon last year. So to see it like come to life, uh, drawn out the way it was and animated the way it was, I just was blown away. Because the the animatics were just fine to convey what was going on scene. To see it fully done was just just mind-blowing how incredible that that direction was. And then, Mike, you're absolutely right. The quieter moments and stuff with her and her and Miles, uh, Rio and Miles up there, uh, uh, his dad, Jeff, and, and talking to Spider-Man about his son, not knowing that that is his son. That <laughs> back and forth is so sweet. Even the stuff with Spot. Look, I mean, the opening stuff, as I said, is he's comical. He's kind of not really someone to be taken seriously, but he grows. And as he grows, you see the animation style change. You see it uh, differentiate. Him popping his head into the multiple universe. We haven't even mentioned the Lego universe, for God's sakes, which was so <laughs> great and so well directed as well. And that Peter is, according to Miguel, one of our best people out there. Lego P Spider-Man is one of the best out there. It's just great stuff. The 1950s a comic book that he stuck his head into was, was great stuff. So these little inventive things that are probably on the script, but the way you direct them and put them through and the way you get that uh, voiceover performances from all these actors to convey all that stuff, it works so well to really solidify why people are talking about this film yeah. as nominated for Best Picture. We've had emotional stories being told in animated films since the dawn of time, for God's sakes. But there's something where it feels like you don't, you don't necessarily feel like you're watching an animated film at the same time that you're aware you're watching an animated film that really elevates this film to a whole other category itself being an anomaly, in my opinion. And I think that's fantastic to see. Plus the incredible animation in all the different sequences from the watercolor stuff that you see with Gwen and her dad in their universe to the Boombatten stuff that you see there to the spider punk, as, as Shannon said, carved out of some uh, sticker in the back of a punk club in 1980s London or to the different ver or miles and his design and his look and everything like that. And then what you get with spy with Miguel, he is so angular and rigid and everything yeah. is so perfectly designed and constructed. And when he even becomes, you know, almost becomes the vampire when he's trying, when he's going to take care of the vulture in that moment as well, seeing that kind of come out, all of it just works so well. And the Jessica Drew design as well. I mean, her phenomenally awesome black hair sticking out the way it does, the look of the of the design of all of that and what she's doing. So it all works. And then we get to that ending, and that Miles Morales Prowler is scary as shit, the way it's designed in that particular Earth, which well, mirrors what that spider looked like in Into the Spider-Verse. So just so smart all across the board. 
with how they did all of that and, and made it all work as directors. So it just- It also reminded yeah. me of when we were developing Spectacular Spider-Man. So a lot mm. of times in animation, because color is a big part of yeah, yeah, animation yeah. Uh, and art direction and directing. And a lot of times red means danger. Yeah, right. Of course. Pretty clearly, red red is a dangerous color. Yeah. Uh, it means anger. It means danger, whatever. But in Spider-Man, I remember when we were doing Spectacular Spider-Man, Vic Cook, our director, was like, well, I feel like in the world of Spider-Man, danger needs to be green with hints of purple. Because that is, in Spider-Man's world, like, Green Goblin is green and purple. Mysterio is green and purple. Doc Ock is green. Uh, Lizard is green. Like, green tends to be and it was just in in the nature of comics like spider-man was red and blue so you're going to yeah. use different colors for the villain so that just kind of definitively did that and when pete when miles gets to uh earth 42 yeah everything is green and purple uh yeah. rio's eyes are green like so there's just this the, pur the prowler is purple so there's just a natural like it feels dangerous in a very spider-man specific way which i think was another amazing choice yeah Agreed. Uh, Shannon, any, any more thoughts to add on that? I mean, the when they get to Earth 42, uh, yeah. just the moment when we get the return of Mahershala Ali. Oh, yeah. I mean, Man. you know, and it's like it, it's it's the guy, but it's not the guy like he, he's just slightly different. And, you know, we get the sense from um, from Rio that things aren't going well. Yeah. And as she's saying, like, she's picking up extra shifts as he gives her some money. And that that moment of uh, he's like, hey, your family, your family. And that's on the heels of Miles seeing his uncle and just embracing him. But as they're and I guess this is more to the directing um, as he's walking past and that slight under his under his breath, like we got to roll. And yeah. you get the sense like, oh, no, <laughs> this guy, th this guy is is bad news. <laughs> There was, um, I think maybe it was heavy spoilers who said this, but uh, it, it's an interesting thing about Spider-Man. And I think, again, this is what makes, to me, across the Spider-Verse, sort of the like a, the definitive, like it's the best Spider-Man movie, is that mm. Peter Parker doesn't have a dad. Right. And Peter Parker loses his father figure in Uncle Ben. And all of, P all of Peter Parker's adult male role models from that point forward tend to be bad guys. Yeah. Like Norman Osborn is like, I want to make you in my image, sure. Doc Ock, you know, the whole Tobey Maguire, uh, Alfred Molina thing. And in this movie, you have Miles has his dad. Miles does right. have his dad, who is a very important figure for him. Miles also has Peter B. Parker. And like I said, even though it's jokey, they right. make a big deal out of him being the mentor. But then when you get to Earth 42 and you're like, oh, so in this world, Miles lost his dad. And Uncle Aaron was the only influence he had, and this is the road he went down. And it's just – it's, again, like in a movie, like I said early on, where mm -hmm. like you're hitting all of these parents and children and who you want to be and what you right. want to be and why you want to be it. So getting to this world where Uncle Aaron is a harder Uncle Aaron than the Uncle Aaron we knew yeah. uh, and seeing the road he went down, like it's really – it was really, really affecting. Yeah, I thought the two things that stood out to me. I mean, Gwen at the beginning feels alone and lonely. No one she can talk to. Her own father is against her without knowing that he's against her and then does know he's against her and she takes off. But by the end, she has found a family. By the end, she has a found family to have a connection with these other Spider-Men. She's part of a society. Spider-Women, she's part of a society, right? And then Miles here, who grew up uh, very loved in that universe, 
That's why he's such a good kid. That's why he wants to help. That's why he saves uh, uh, Captain Singh, because he has that instinct to do the right thing. But he's also, like his mom told him, don't you ever let them tell you you don't belong. Don't you ever let them tell mm. you that you don't have a right to be there, which I want to cry, but that decimates me every time because that's something my parents said to me to fight in this world. And so you hear that, and it's so powerful. So by the end, when he rebels against Miguel, it's from that moment. It pays off dividends. So when you see the other Miles Morales, it's because he grew up in an unloving household or, or a household that, that lost a father, right? So how does that affect him? And you throw in, and look, I'm not in any way culturally able to speak about this professionally or expertly or ever, but the idea of a young black kid growing up in the inner city without his father, but influenced by negative influences to become a criminal. That's how easy loving family can possibly turn out a much more loving child. Uh, a family that doesn't have that kind of love or has troubles, or I don't know how his father died in, in, in that universe yet. We don't know how that can affect a child growing up and what influence you have on that child going in a negative direction. Cause his uncle in Miles Morales is the, the main Miles Morales's universe his uncle was very loving of him and did not expose him to the evilness of his side and probably because of his father, but also his love for Miles. So you see that be something that is playing out as well at the end, which I thought subtly, I think, which I thought was great to kind of just throw in there, you know, as a as a conversation piece for sure. Um, we got two more Streamlabs or Super Test came through. Tim Sim says, um, uh, this blend of animation styles is, I believe, continuing the drive to diversify from the hyper-realistic CGI animation in future animated features. Do you all agree with this sentiment as well, gentlemen? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, common uh, thoughts in the animation industry is CG good, 2D bad for yeah. feature animation. Like we don't do a lot of 2D animation anymore. And we think that kids want to see a specific thing. Yeah. And although obviously Across the Spider-Verse is a CG animated movie with all CG acting and stuff, like the variety of styles and pushing what you can do, I think is going to continue to do what Into the Spider-Verse did. Mm. Like we've all seen that post Into the Spider-Verse, we got the bad guys from DreamWorks. The trailer for Wish from Disney looks like it's much more, uh, a pushed style than mm. what they've done in the past. And I think with the success of Across the Spider-Verse, it's just going to continue to remind executives that audiences are super on board to see yeah. stuff that is more visually uh, pushed than they expect uh, an audience to embrace. Yeah. Am I sharing your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, many folks have said this already, but I mean, you, you look at certain frames, you probably pause at any point during yeah. across the spider-verse yeah. and it looks like a work of art i mean and and so the fact that they are pushing these um as as tim said these more diverse uh animation styles uh i think it's fantastic because it's, it's not something that we're used to seeing we're not right. used to seeing you know i i feel like the last time we really saw it done so well was like roger rabbit when you had animation and live action at the same time so the fact that we're getting these things that don't look like they belong together, but they're, yeah. but it's executed so well. Uh, I imagine that that is just going to embolden um, other creatives going forward. Yeah, good point. Oh, uh, Rashawn Daly corrects me here and saying Ken Powers co-directed Pixar's Soul. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. And, and thank God, you know, he's such a fantastic director, and certainly I'm sure he had uh, stuff to say about how they were portraying uh, uh, everything that was going on in the film as a director. So that was great to have that in there. One last thing I think we should talk about before we wrap up is the acting. I mean, the voiceover, I left it for last, but the voiceover acting here 
just incredible across the board. You know, we mentioned, uh, or we say Shamik Moore here as Miles Morales playing Miles Morales a year later, a little more confidence in his voice, a little more of a defensiveness, a little more of uh, uh, embracing his world, but also wondering where he fits, missing Gwen, the stuff that he goes through with the spy, wanting to be part of the spider society. And then the battle with Miguel Haley Steinfeld as Gwen Stacy are really getting a chance to shine with her voiceover work here as well. Her acting the smaller, the initial moments when she's upset about everything. And then we hear about, uh, we see what happens with Peter and then her interactions with her father, which, which Shea Wiggum is fantastic as her dad, unrecognizable, did not pick that voice out as Shea Wiggum's as uh, captain Stacy. And then what she does, and as you said, Michael, the conversation they have upside down uh, and on that building, uh, I wrote it down the building, but yeah, the upside down. And then later, as we see her progress in the conversations, of course, Daniel Kaluuya, we already mentioned, but Luna Lauren Velez as Rio and Brian Tyree Henry as Jeff, the parents of Miles. Just great interactions, great stuff as well. The voiceover work all around. And Jake Johnson coming in as Peter B, coming back as Peter B. Does wonderful work. We already gave Jason Schwartzman a shout out and Issa Rae and Daniel Kaluuya. So what did you guys think of the main actors here, the main story actors and their voiceover acting throughout the whole or acting period throughout the whole uh, film? I mean, Brian Tyree Henry, he's just so good. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I was like, I, I don't know if you all saw the film that he was in with Jennifer Lawrence, the yeah, Apple awesome. film that he got nominated for. Um, he is such a wonderful, wonderful actor. And the, the, the differences in all of his roles, like I would not hear the character of, uh, of, of, of Miles' dad and, and think that that is the guy from Eternals or that mm -hmm. is the guy from Atlanta. Um, he's just so, he's so, so good. And, yeah. you know, the, what he's able to convey in his voice, especially in that sequence after they've, they've caught the spot, the, yeah. uh, <laughs> the just, or after the spot has escaped, um, he's just so, he's so frustrated and you know he's dealing with the frustration from his son now yeah. he's dealing with the frustration of this spider of this spider vigilante he's so like he he just has so much depth to his uh to his voice he's just a pleasure to hear and uh luna velez you know i don't know how, how many people watch dexter out there uh yeah. but she was she was one of the antagonists for dexter like the first three or four seasons and this is just such a different character yeah. like she's just so tender as rio and <laughs> to think that she, you know it's that same it's that same police officer from dexter who was just such a piece of work i mean it, you know she they, they both i just love both of the parents work and yeah the whole shea wiggum thing I didn't know who it was after the first yeah. after the first screening because uh, Shea Wiggum has there is a quality to Shea Wiggum's yep. voice that you do not hear in this character. And like this, that today I was listening extra careful and I'm like, yeah, I still don't still don't hear it. It's really incredible. Mike, your thoughts on the on the voice of acting overall? Um, yeah, uh, in in that interview that I was watching, Haley Steinfeld was talking about oh. um, what she's learned on doing Spider-Verse, and she talked about how you kind of have this idea when you go in to do an animated movie that you have to be really big and over the top and super broad, and then she realized that that's not what you do, that like you have these really subtle moments, that you have these really quiet moments that you play, and I think when you look at Gwen in this movie, you really see that and i think the main thing look I, I i think i think what shannon said is right like i think that this i think this movie actually has a decent shot of a best picture nomination mm -hmm. and i think it has a great shot at best uh score 
I don't think that any of the actors are going to get nominated. And I think that's a shame Yeah, because I think that the work, uh, like, like Shannon said, Brian Tyree, Henry, Luna Velez, like across the parents, like, like just across the board, Mm -hmm. the emotional performances that these actors brought to these roles is a huge part of what makes it work. And the fact that they're doing the same amount of character work, they're doing the same amount. The The only thing they're not doing is they get to show up in sweatpants. Yeah, they're right. not in hair and makeup and they love it. Yeah. But like, aside from that, like they're really giving a hundred percent to this and finding those subtle moments. And the fact that the Academy doesn't recognize that I feel like is a shame. Yeah, that's something we talked about all the time when Yuri Yuri Lowenthal and I hosted a podcast, uh, uh, two versions of the podcast, all the time. How we wanted to destroy this myth of voice acting being different than acting, because that is such a perception. People say, do you do any real acting whenever you tell them you're a voiceover artist, which is just astoundingly offensive on so many levels, uh, because these people deliver such wonderful performances uh, voiceover wise that really dial you into the show, the film. It isn't just the animation. It's got to be coupled with both. And it's so, so works here in this film from top to bottom. And no one better than Andy Samberg is Ben Riley for God's sakes. Lost in my angst. I'm lost in my angst. It was so, Oh, that was a particularly rough memory. Oh, <laughs> oh and I do want to give one shout out. Ziggy Marley as Lenny of all. The, I didn't How the hell do you even think to cast Ziggy Marley? As Lenny, the convenience store guy, I, I couldn't even <laughs> believe it, but the interactions there are so perfect, just yeah. so well done. So what an odd place for Ziggy Marley to show up in, for God's sake. It was hilarious. Um, all right. Anything else that we missed that you guys want to hit on before we wrap up our uh, conversation here about um, the Spider-Verse? I mean, we spoke about the animation styles. We spoke about the acting. We spoke about the direction, the writing, uh, the great scenes. Anything that you guys, the cameos, anything you guys want to bring up? Just that this is that. Go ahead. Yeah, you I, go first. this is this is uh, this is a movie that is probably going to be very attended for the next few weeks, and mm. that is the way to see it. See it. Oh, it yeah. See it on a on a big screen, and if you can see it, see it with a crowd. I mean, I, I would say see it see it with different crowds. See it during the day so you can hear kids, and see it at night so you can hear grownups. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that, Michael. Um. This is a movie, this is the type of movie that comes along once in a while. Yeah. Um, it It's firing on all cylinders. It's elevating the art of cinema. Like, it, it is it is so good. And then, in addition to that, the way that they handle all of the Easter eggs and all of the bits, mm. like, again, it's a super complicated thing. And, like, sometimes... And we all have seen it. There's movies that like lean a little too heavily on Easter eggs, a little too heavily on references right. to other things. Yeah. This movie just has it all just sort of packaged in a way that you get to enjoy the stuff that you get. But if you don't get it, if you didn't see the Venom movies and you don't know who Miss Chen is or you don't know, who, you didn't know that Donald Glover was in Spider-Man Homecoming or you haven't seen every single version of Spider-Man, it doesn't matter because it's the emotional story that holds it together. And when you have that emotional story that is so strong, every all of the animation styles and all the different looks and all of the amazing action and all of the Easter eggs is all just on top of something that's a super solid base. And I yeah. think that that's the lesson to take away from this movie is that if you really know the emotional story that you're telling, yeah, you can do anything. And this movie does things that no other movie does. Yeah. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's that's the thing that uh, I come out of this movie, having seen it twice now, is that it doesn't diminish uh, in its power and in its um, effect on you, right? I mean, the first thing I wrote about in when I did my out of theater reaction, when I did my quick reaction to it on Twitter, was that yeah, it has all these great things, but it's the heart of the film that packs the biggest wallop. It's the emotional story that it's telling that keeps you so dialed in. It, so you're here, you can marvel at everything else here because you know you're involved in, and um, you're taken along on the ride with, uh, with this incredible story. You trust that the emotions here are conveying and matching the amazing majesty that you're watching in the animation styles uh, and the designs of all of these characters and, you know, and the performances. And I'd be remiss not to mention Oscar Isaac as well, who's fantastic as Miguel O'Hara. That's, that's the, he was such a great Miguel O'Hara encapsulating what that character is all about and the progression of that character as he gets more and more desperate as the film goes along and the frustration he feels that he's got to get this thing done uh, because it's from a place of wanting to do what's right, but he's so caught up in it that he's going losing his way. And I think that's important to see. And the film does a great job of making you see that without making you hate him. And so there's right. all of those little things throughout that I think are gems and gifts from a wonderful performance or wonderful uh, film here that is incredibly well directed, incredibly well paced, well written, well scored, well acted. Uh, but it's that heart and it all comes down to that. That's what you're left with. That's why you want to like when it was done, I wanted it to go on for another hour. Like I was like, I'm ready keep me in here. I'm good to keep going. Cause I'm loving this. And that speaks volumes about a movie um, for me in, in my analysis of it overall. Um, all right, well, there you go. That's our spoiler review here of uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. We appreciate you all hanging out with us. Thank you so much for taking the time tonight. Less lovely chat. Thanks for the uh, uh, Streamlabs and the Super Chats. We appreciate them madly as well. Um, uh, Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel and bang some tables, it's at MK Toon. <laughs> if you would like to follow Mr. Roca, have a pillow to, to smack. Yeah, it's at the Roca sakes. says. <laughs> Listen, if you like emphatic, passionate people... <laughs> then we are here for you. And here is what you can do to be here for us. Uh, hit that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the amazing content he has got. Um, leave your comments below in the YouTube chat. Let us know what you thought of the movie. What did you like? What did you not like? What do you hope for beyond the Spider-Verse? If you are listening to us on a podcast, go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments so that we go up in the rankings and more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There you go. Uh, well, thank you all so much again. And uh, we love hanging out with you all. That's why we do these reviews live. I know other people don't do them live. We like to do them live because we love to interact with you all. We are first and foremost fans and nerds and, uh, and analysts and reviewers and pundits second. So thank you so much for hanging out with us and allowing us to entertain you and have fun with you interacting about this movie. And we definitely enjoyed all your chat and your analysis and your points of views as well, y'all. All right, y'all take care of yourselves. Be well. As Michael mentioned earlier, if you want to watch our main show that dropped on Friday where Mike and I rank the top Spider-Man movie, uh, which we put across at the top, uh, please feel free to take a look at that uh, video as well. It is up there for you all to enjoy. Oh, uh, yes, voices, gentlemen. Does the title Beyond the Spider-Verse mean we'll get a live-action Miles Morales? That's what people are speculating that we're going to get the live action Miles Morales or Tom Holland or Andrew Garfield 
We certainly saw them pop up in the images when we were there in that Spider-Verse area at HQ. So gentlemen. I don't think so. Okay. I think beyond the spider verse means that miles is literally going beyond what Miguel thinks the spider verse is. Yeah. Or whatever he called it, a arachnoid connected technical, whatever yeah. the hell he called it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get on out of here and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new review or show here from the geek buddies. <gasps> Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.